I think the answer is we create our own category. We're not a we're not a digital refi lender. And the most important decision we made when founding the company is we don't do refi here. We're just a pur- purchase mortgage company. And there's some radicalism, and I, I get a lot of sideways glances about recapture rate and margin <laughs> and CAC. Don't care. And I know someone's listening to this calling me a fool, but this fool is going to build a beautiful customer-centric experience that America choose to use, and things will fall in their place. And we are back for another episode of the Housing News Podcast. This week, we're joined by the CEO and co-founder of Tomo. Folks, you got to listen to this interview with Greg Schwartz. Greg is uh, is coming to innovate. He is building a digital mortgage business. He has the backing of a $70 million angel round, which is a, a record to say the least for a uh like a seed stage round in the mortgage industry. It's really fascinating. He's got a lot of capital to put to work, but his ambitions are big, working to rebuild the mortgage experience, a mortgage company with a technology focus. Greg also talks a lot about his experience building another company that starts with Z and some of his viewpoints on building a purchase focused mortgage lender. Before we jump into the episode, I want to give a quick shout out to our friends at the Momentum Builder event. Momentum Builder is back on for the fourth year, March 15th and 16th at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas. And they're going really big this year. Gary V and Ryan Serhant are are leading the the speaker list. And what I'm probably most excited about is they're partnering with Rene Rodriguez for his Amplify event the day before at the same location. You don't want to miss this. Learn more at MomentumBuilderEvent.com. That's MomentumBuilderEvent.com. And now for the episode. Greg and I are here talking about like important things that the listeners might actually care about. So why do this in the, why do this in the green room? We can just do it live on the podcast. Secrets. Don't keep secrets. So the folks uh, listening to the episode today can't see that we're on video. They're just listening to us, but Greg, you're clearly in the office. So did you bring the team back in? Yes. We came back in on Monday. Uh, it's a pretty exciting week. Uh, everyone, it was like the first day of school getting back together. Now we've been in and out based on what's going on in, in, in the pandemic. Um, but we feel comfortable here and, uh, we're gathered in the hallways. We've got a new, one of those shuffleboard machines, you know, those standing shuffleboard things in each of our office locations, we've got three office locations and, um, there's community happening. And, and I was just telling you at the front door this morning, I ran into two teammates and uh, there was a challenge we were struggling with, and we just talked without a Zoom, and we figured out a proposal, and then someone ran to their desk and typed it up, and we're doing it tomorrow. So it, fast moving. Yeah, that that is something that's hard to replicate online. I, I remember back like five and a half years ago, uh, one of my first senior hires here at Housing Wire was our our head of sales, Jennifer, and she joined us from the wall street journal and, uh, was just like flabbergasted with the speed that we could make decisions while like walking, walking through the hallway or like shouting through the wall at each other. And, um, 
that's something that has been hard to, to replicate during during the pandemic. It's cool to, to see that you're bringing it back. H- how's the team responded? I, I feel like uh, us executives want everybody back in and that's kind of uniform across, I don't know, all businesses and all, all parts of the economy, but not all team members are, are quite as eager to, to come back to the desk. How, how's that working for you? Yeah, I'd like to think my teammates would tell me if they were uh, we, we run a pretty open uh, a pretty open company and and they questioned me on lots of things. So I haven't there hasn't been a ton of pushback on this. Um, hey, our younger teammates were coming in all the time because they're living in smaller spaces and they don't want to run their careers from their beds. Some of them, it's it's a generalization. Um, and so a bunch of our teammates never stopped coming in the office. It was always open and optional. Um, and now everyone's back. And I'd say, you know, I'm in Stanford, Connecticut. We've got offices in Seattle and in Austin. And certainly beliefs and conditions are different in different areas of the country. And we're okay with that. But we've always been a 3-2 since we founded the company. It's a COVID-founded company. So we're Monday through Wednesday in the office, Thursday, Friday, be wherever you are effective in the world. And that's been a that's been an attractive. That's funny. So uh HW has been a three, two for since, since I joined six years ago. And, um, and as we started bringing people back, I have had most of my direct reports coming in Monday through Wednesday and kind of saying like, get remote, be where you need to be for, for, for Thursday and Friday. Uh, so that's that cadence that you've built is exactly what I, what I think I'm kind of aspiring to here for, for our organization. Uh, how are you, how are you seeing people transition? Or I guess it's week one. So you don't really know like how like the in-person to, to hybrid structure is going to play out right now. Yeah. I'd say so in the New York region here where, where I am, I haven't been out to our other offices in the last day. Um, traffic is back. I think the parking lot was full on Monday at the office. You know, our schools after winter break here are going back maskless. So I think there's a sense of returning to normal. It's normalcy. Um, and I can't tell you what's in everybody's head, uh, but uh, so far, so good. Uh, and it's fun. Hopefully, everyone will stay safe. Nice. Well, we jumped right into the nitty gritty of operating a business. So, uh, folks, you're tuning in. We have Greg Schwartz, the CEO and, and co-founder at, at Tomo. Greg's building a, a really interesting business. As he just told us, a, a COVID-founded company. So, Greg, so I don't butcher this. Why don't, why don't you explain Tomo to us? Tell us about the business you're building. Yeah, so uh, we we founded the idea of Tomo standing on a train platform in Tokyo. Uh, believe it or not, have you ever been, Clayton, to Tokyo? I have not. Okay. I did a. I yeah, no, I, I don't want to generalize like all of Asia, but I studied abroad in Beijing, and that's about the the extent of my uh, okay. Asian travels. Okay. I, I suspect it's a little different, but it's a little uh, bit. A little bit. I've not been to Beijing. Hey, standing on a train platform in Tokyo. I was just wowed by the level of engagement everyone I interacted with that that was traditionally in a service role in North America. There was this sense of a meeting of equals, of pride, of integrity that was occurring that was just very, very unusual. And I was inspired at that moment to think about real estate agents and loan officers of all things. Um, and I started studying Japanese culture, service culture. There's a concept called omotenashi, which is a really, in a very simple form, and I'm butchering this. It's about anticipating customer needs and meeting them without ever being asked. And that's the thing of beauty. Um, and that's the four, first four letters uh, of Omotenashi is actually Tomo. So here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to fix the, uh, the home purchase transaction by starting with the very hard work. And I think the hardest work is fixing the financing element of, of, of buying a home, searching for a home, going on a website, um, perhaps that I worked on before this, 
Um, let's start with Z. Um, going out and go to open houses. That's fun work. Going to get pre-approved, gathering your documents, sharing your social is akin to medicine. Um, and it typically takes someone 35, 40 days of grinding nervousness. So here's what we're doing at Tomo. And that was a long-winded answer. Um, <laughs> we're building a digital uh, a, a digital mortgage company uh, that just does purchase mortgages, never a refi, never has, that closes on time every single time. Uh, and ultimately builds a proprietary network of real estate agents who are the most productive in the country. And we agree to team up and deliver a faster, less expensive, and ultimately more human real estate transaction. Did I do a decent job? Okay. How does that, how does that marketplace of this high production real estate team kind of come into play with the Tomo model? How, how did you recruit these people? Like how, how's, yeah. I, I know they're not employees, but like, how'd you recruit them into the, the market? Yeah. Hey, there are a bunch of different models in real estate emerging. One, one of which we won't practice here is we won't have employee agents. Um, I think the most productive yeah. agents want to be independent and they want their freedom. And it's one of the reasons why they got in real estate. Um, so, hey, we've got a network and, and a growing one of, of the most productive agents in the country. Um, we are earning their trust uh, uh, deal by deal, by closing on time, by communicating amazingly, by having great rates, serving their customers well, and not being part of the catastrophe. That is the mortgage process at most large mortgage companies. So that's part of it. You know, my partner and I, my co-founder, Carrie and I, you know, built, among other things, the last company at, at Zillow, um, the Premergent program, which is 100,000 of, uh, of the most productive agents in the country. And uh, those are our friends. So many are choosing to work with us. And then I guess the other thing is you and my good friend, Tom Ferry. Um, I'm taking some liberties here. Uh, he's my good friend. I, I think you guys are fond of each other. We are. I, I actually, I we just recorded a, a podcast with, uh, with, with Chris Heller. And I was telling Chris that I, I drove by Tom's new office this morning. I went to a new, a new gym that was literally next door to Tom's office. And I was like, Hey Tom, why aren't you at the, why aren't you at work yet? This is the place looks awfully empty, but <laughs> you're right. You're right. Yeah. I, I know. I know he grinds, but I'll, I'll call him out. Like he, I was at the gym at six and you weren't at your I office. Think What's I saw a photo of him at Super Bowl. <laughs> oh uh, yeah. Uh, so Tom has taught me more about the agent community in the real estate business than anybody else over the last bunch of years. And so, so Tom's been a, a wonderful supporter as, as we've grown Tomo, um, introducing us to his customers. Uh, so, uh, we, we humbly aim to serve. So, and that's a, if I'm, if I recall, y'all announced like a formal partnership between the, 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 the Tom Ferry coaching clients and, and Tomo, is that a, is that a formal thing or is that like an informal handshake deal? Yeah, no, no, it's it's a, it's a formal partnership, you know, largest, largest, largest coaching business in in real estate and, and, uh, Tomo, perhaps the the largest ambitions in, in the mortgage and real estate business. Um, and so it was a natural partnership um, to be introduced and held by these incredibly productive teams, agents, and brokers. And uh, so we're out there every day all over America now uh, working with them. I like that positioning. I'm, I, I can't say we're the, the largest business media company out there, but I will say we're the most ambitious. I, I like, I, that's my new. I'm, ta- I'm taking that from you, Greg. <laughs> so, so, Greg, let's talk a little bit more about the, that, that experience on the, on the subway platform of deciding that, uh, that, that Tomo needed to come to fruition. When you thought about the mortgage experience today or at that time, two years ago, uh, it was two years ago, right? Yep. 
about then. Yep. Uh, what did you identify as kind of the, the parts that were most broken? What, what, what were the, where did you identify your opportunity? The, the, the trust between customer real estate agent and mortgage companies has been broken. Absolutely severed. Um, customers are in a lot of pain, emotional pain. They're really worried. Um, they're asked constantly for more documents, more information, multiple times. It's expensive. It's opaque. They don't, most, most folks don't understand what they're signing up for. And it's the point of greatest stress in the real estate transaction process. It's not easy to find a home these days with, with tight listings inventory, but gosh, getting financing. I don't know anyone that says I adored my experience. Um, and so that's what we're going to do. We're not going to blame. We, I hear the industry blame regulators. I hear the industry blame real estate agents. I hear the industry blame everyone but themselves. In, in Clayton, the, the thing that the story we tell here is the story of the elephant and the ant. An elephant steps on an ant, not because she hates the ant, but because she can't see them. And the larger lenders are acting in that manner. They can no longer see real estate agents. They can't see customers and they can't see their own teammates, their own employees in most cases. And that's what's really uh, afflicting, I think, the mortgage business. It's too big to scale. So one of the benefits of, of scale is, is resources. How did you kind of come into to founding Tomo with a plan for, Hey, we can build this technology out on a proprietary basis, or we, we partner with certain players. Like how did you see that, that, that tech stack, that tech ecosystem coming together so you can be more nimble than the elephants that can't see their own feet? Yeah. First of all, it's 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 being of service, and it's a founding principle. Uh, I found certain companies uh, in our category are financial engineers; they're capital markets pros. They know every in and out. Others are are the best at running sales forces. Um, and then the third type of of innovator um, that certainly we emulate is product driven, customer driven, technically savvy, and funded like an internet company, uh, not not like a, a bespoke underfunded uh, lender. And so we're product people at the end of the day, we're, we're consumerists. And so we've been lucky enough to raise a, uh, a sufficient amount of capital from, from uh, some, some great investors. And that allowed us to you know, build a pretty fierce product and engineering team, drawn the, the best development shops anywhere, Amazon and Microsoft and Zillow and Finicity, um, this is a world-class squad. And so we're building our own software platform, redefining uh, how we manufacture a mortgage, uh, compensating our, our loan officers in different ways, really around service and quality of experience. And then embedding this notion of Vomo Tanashi, which is being of service uh, in every interaction uh, compulsively. Um, and, and I'll give you one, Clayton. You know, it's the mandate here never to mess a contract date. So, and what's what's the what's the penalty to that? What what happens if a date is missed? What what is the the cultural expectation there? Yeah, hey, this is this is a thing uh, that is more powerful than compensation or or incentives. It's shame. Um, so, and we don't shame people; we shame uh, leadership. Me, um, we've missed two contract dates ever in the history of the company. Small company, but two ever. And to the entire company, we did a postmortem on both of those at our all-hands meetings and devoted most of the all-hands meetings to what went wrong. And the purpose of that is 
uh, sure to learn a little bit, but you don't learn in front of hundreds of people. It's to share to hundreds of people that this is really important. You know, uh, years ago I was in, and I won't name the name, the guy, but uh, a wonderful leader at Berkshire Hathaway um, in Dallas. And I was having uh, uh, dinner with him and his team. And they showed up an hour uh, late to dinner. And I was, you know, a big time executive at a big company. I was a little irked by this, Clayton, because I was waiting there. To, it was, I was hungry. I'd flown in to see this guy. Yep. And he shows up an hour late, no explanation. And he comes in in a huff. And this is a big, one of the biggest team leaders in the country. And he knows who he is. Lovely human being. Uh, and he shows up and I said, well, what's the deal, guy? You, you didn't even call? And he said, I'm so sorry. The lender screwed up the loan. Tomorrow's, it was a holiday weekend. My home buyer's family's flying in to have a barbecue at their home. The moving trucks are loaded. They're not going to move in. And it's going to be several days. So I just used my own money and closed it myself. They had no idea. So, oh my gosh, you used your own money to close the house out of your, out of your account? I said, yeah. I was like, was, was this just a near and dear customer? I said, never met them. Never met them. They were one of my teammates' customers, but that's just what we do in Texas. And that level of commitment I see across the industry, and it's just been matched to big and different processes, the elephants, that are almost inhuman because, you know, uh, you, you don't know who to call. And the loan officers there don't really have an escalation process typically, and they're just as hopeless when things go around, wrong as an agent or a customer is. And, and we're going to stop that in its tracks. That's really fascinating. And that's like, you think about industry perceptions. And I think the agents that I talk to, or at least the the story that likes to be told is that the, the digital mortgage lenders are harder to build that relationship with, to make sure that they understand the, the importance of, of closing on time and that having a, a local retail mortgage originator or, or mortgage broker that cares about the transaction just as much as the agent does is a, is the real estate agent's friend. What's the plan or what have you been doing to solidify the narrative of your, the, not, I don't want to say narrative in a, in a negative way, but like the, yeah. the, the mission of being dedicated to the agent and being dedicated to the, the purchase process. Yeah. Like, cause I think there's pro, there's some market perception that has to be changed of a digital lender being the agent's friend. Yep. Yep. You're absolutely right. But uh, I think the answer is we create our own category. We're, yeah. we're not a, we're not a digital refi lender. And the most important decision we made when founding the company is we don't do refi here. We're just a pur- purchase mortgage company. And there's some radicalism. And I, I get a lot of sideways glances about recapture rate and margin <laughs> and CAC. Don't care. And I know someone's listening to this calling me a fool, but this fool is going to build a beautiful customer-centric experience that America choose to use. And things will fall in their place. I don't care about the recapture rate. Because what we're going to do is we're going to close on time. And you, I've never seen anyone at scale close on time regularly when refi and purchase are in the same national platform. Because you know this, the profit of refi rolls on in. It fills all your operating capacity. Folks try to staff up, but are always behind it. And then it recedes like the tides. And then they lay all these people off. And then they wonder why they don't have great cultures and processes. Not going to do it. Not going to participate. So that's the first decision. Have to have the right construct for the business. 
Second decision, every single pre-approval letter, Clayton, that comes out of here has my name, my personal phone number, my mobile phone number, my email, and my partners, my business partners. And people call us all the time. Have fun at I, will scale. Do that. I did that forever <laughs> at the last company. Thousands and thousands of people have my real cell phone number, and so be it. If it's a problem, someone will call and we'll fix it. So I, I don't think our listeners are are thinking are listening and thinking that, hey, this guy's a fool by focusing on purchase. I bet they are thinking though, they're gonna change their message in in two years. What what do you do for the bar for the borrowers, the homeowners that are extremely satisfied with Tomo? They love their experience, but they're ready to refi. Either we're either seeing rates in a lower market, there there's a cash out opportunity they want to do an do an addition or a remodel. How do you handle those clients that just want to do business with you again? Are you re- referring, referring them out have a partner of choice? Like, like what do you do when the book wants refi? Yeah. Hey, we, we've, uh, we did our first mortgage in August. So we haven't hit that. We haven't hit that moment yet. And you know, it's our belief in startups. You work today's problem and then you work tomorrow's problem tomorrow. Uh, so we'll figure out a solution that doesn't involve us, uh, doing it in this entity, in this company. Um, because I, I truly believe you can't have your cake and eat it too with this refi purchase uh, uh, decision. And I've spent the last decade of my life looking realtors in the eye and building trust and not going to throw it away. Uh, and I'm not going to throw away the trust we've built, we're going to build with customers. Um, so we'll figure it out. I'm not too worried about that. Um, hey, home equity uh, and construction loans and renovation loans are really interesting to me, much more so than, than, than refi. But I'm sure there are plenty of fine refi shops that would love to be our partner um, when the refi boom comes. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, and I guess there's not a better timed market to be in where you actually can just focus on per- purchase than than where we are today. Uh, potentially a, a rising rate environment, rate and term refi is less and less important every day that passes. And it's probably going to be that way for a few years. So um, it's a- it's hey, Can a- we talk to people? Can we talk culture and people if, if it's cool for one sec? Let's do it. Because uh, building these these big national companies, last last company I worked on, uh, I, I took it to you know close to 6,000 teammates. Um, and that's a pretty big responsibility. And in my earliest days, I was a young kid uh, working at Yahoo on, on Yahoo Finance. And and uh, I saw some of the most innovative lenders. And, and I won't say whom because uh, I try to be decent. Um, I, I was walking into someone's sales floor and they were very proud. And this is in the night, late nineties. And they were very, very proud of having all the walls in the sales floor. It's a two-story sales floor on wheels. Do you know why that the walls were on wheels? <laughs> I'm guessing accordion flex as the team, uh, ebbed and flowed. Yeah. I mean, it, they, what they explained to me, uh, which has stuck with me all these years, um, uh, uh, what they what they explained to me is when interest rates go down, they move the walls back on wheels. They don't have to do any construction. They hire up. And when interest rates go back up, people are perishable. They move the wheels back. Um, and so that way you don't see the empty floors. Uh, that's appalled me uh, since the 90s. And that's what we're seeing happen all across our industry right now. And it's not how you create a loyal, high-quality, innovative, safe workforce that's how you look at people as modes of production. And that's not interesting. I mean, you're preaching to the choir there. I mean, my, my first financial organization I worked with, uh, reduced headcount by over a hundred thousand people in my first three years at the company. So I, I kind of, my entry to the workforce was in a, 
was in an environment where um, the, the, the cubicle walls were moving often. So I, I understand that pressure and really respect the, the approach that you're taking. Are, as you build Tomo, are you recruiting from inside of the mortgage industry? Are you, fi- are you finding people from these organizations who uh, might have some scar tissue from cultures they're, they're coming out of? Or what, what's the effort on the team you're building? Yeah. We're doing this grand experiment. I was talking to a candidate about this. I spent about half my time on recruiting um, and on coaching. Uh, so I love it. Uh, so I meet, I've, I've, I've talked to three new potential teammates, uh, or hires today. So, you know, we try to have a mix, uh, a mix of world-class operators, marketers, software engineers, and then folks drawn from industry who have a little itch and there's an itch common to all of, all of our, our mortgage friends, um, that join us and it's, they know there's a better way to do it. And they're curious and they're a little difficult and they didn't fit in perfectly because they're not a total rule follower over at the, at the, at the bank or the lender they're working at. And no one was surprised when they came to Tomo because everyone knew this was, this was someone that, that was a little irritated by the way, by the status quo. So yeah, uh, we try to match it up. I'll give you an example in our operations team we have a very unusual leader of our mortgage operations team, Shane, Shane led uh, strategy at Southwest airlines. Uh, and so a very different hire into the mortgage business, but uh, an unbelievable uh, detailed analytic mindset. And he brought uh, our, our leader of quality of Six Sigma also came from Southwest. Uh, then matched them with, uh, with world-class mortgage talent to actually run processing and underwriting. But there's these really wonderful, robust debates. And then we embed, you know, product folks, uh, from again, like Microsoft and, and Amazon and, and others who are just studying exactly what the process is, how to optimize it, how to bring automation where we'll see increases in speed and reductions of cost, yet bring people, easier people communication where we need to drive trust in judgment um, and creating this all in our own uh, operating system, our own uh, loan operating system in, in POS. So that's kind of the mix of this wild brew uh, that we're trying to bring together here. So far, so good. About 150 of us here today. And now we're going to take a, a really quick break for this week's edition of the Mortgage Minute brought to you by Angel Oak Mortgage Solutions. I'm Tom Hutchins from Angel Oak Mortgage Solutions with today's non-QM Minute. FHFA recently announced fee hikes on second homes and high balance agency loans. Along with shrinking agency refi volume due to increasing rates, these fee hikes will continue to reduce your agency business. The recent changes follow last year's volume restrictions that were placed on non-owner and second home transactions. All of these actions together point to FHA's initiative to shrink the GSE footprint on all transactions outside of conforming primary residences. It's important now more than ever to partner with an established non-QM lender, and Angel Oak has been focused on the non-QM space exclusively for over eight years. Check us out at angeloakms.com and find out how we can help you grow your business during this shrinking agency environment. And that's today's non-QM Minute. Earlier, you mentioned uh, building a mortgage company, but funding it like a, a technology business. And I think for folks that... Follow Housing Wired Real Trends saw that last summer, last summer, $70 million announcement. Was that the the, the latest round? 
So yep. serious funding round for a, 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 a mortgage technology or mortgage originator for a mortgage originator. So tell us about the, uh, the process of, of raising money, um, to, to start a mortgage company that is funded and acts like a, a technology company. Cause I imagine there's some, uh, some venture investors out there who had a little bit of trouble wrapping their heads around being in the mortgage industry. Um, but it seems like you told that story pretty successfully. Uh, hey, the mortgage industry is intimidating to many from the outside, as you well know, arcane terminology, uh, it's regulated, there's capital risk. Um, people hear the word balance sheet in a traditional uh, technology investor runs away from the word balance sheet. It's just not a thing you do. Um, and so we have this incredible group of investors um, led by Ribbit, uh, kind of the famous Ribbit Capitals, probably driven most of the fintech revolution. Um, it's another terrific NFX, uh, which is uh, led by my friend Pete Flint, who founded Trulia, uh, is on our board, and, and DST, which is a world-class global investor. So we've been able to attract a good group, and you know, they gave us the treasure, their treasure, to go out and build something that was quite scalable. So the expectations of scale are immense. Folks don't entrust you with $70 million, um, $70 million in your seed round, um, uh, if not for expecting a big, big, big outcome. I see this, I'm often asked by my friends uh, in the mortgage biz, how do you invest $70 million and how does that work? And it's one word is leverage. The expectations on this company and in a very venture investor, no matter the category is, that that will bring digital technology software and it will make a category, uh, in this case, a mortgage company more efficient. And you get leverage of that technology spend. And ultimately your scale grows, your volume, your dollar volume grows in mortgages, yet your technology investment stays, uh, grows at a much lower rate, it never stays flat. Uh, and you see in immense profit result. And the idea is, can a mortgage company with scale and using technology shrewdly look more like a, a SaaS company, a software company? Um, and it absolutely can. I mean, and you're talking about like the operating leverage of technology now, but what about the the balance sheet leverage? Or is, is the angel round also help fund the balance sheet for I, assuming your correspondent relationships or like how are you, what's like the capital market strategy? Yeah, I, I'd say we're, we're starting with a, with what I'll call a vintage or a classic capital market strategy. It's a very well-organized industry in the capital markets area. It's relatively inexpensive, as you as you well know, as long as you're, you, 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 you manufacture good loans, you turn them quick. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty efficient using traditional, you know, warehouse and, and correspondent lenders. Um, and then at scale, you start to squint. And see some interesting things starting to emerge around bid and, and what I call the ledger. There's some interesting uh, opportunities to squint at the mortgage industry and say, hey, non-QM, there's some really interesting ways uh, uh, to, to use the ledger to uh, speed things up and do the things in real time. Yeah, that non-QM category seems to be getting more and more attention. I think I heard from someone in our organization that there's certain markets where non QM has, um, is out outpacing out in scale, the, the QMs, uh, in the, in their portfolio right now, which is, which is really fascinating, California. Um, so, uh, so 
Greg, to, to kind of, to come back to the, the overall corporate strategy, um, seems to be the massive focus on, on closing on time, serving, serving real estate agents. How does that flow through into, to servicing? Are we sell, selling rights as soon as you close is important to have like a, a relationship with that borrower post-close and that, that ties straight into the refi conversation. How are you preparing for, for that component? Yeah. So we're really disciplined, um, about what we take on when, and we're reasonably humble about it. So not this year's challenge. Got it. Uh, this year's challenge is, you know, we're uh, we're licensed uh, in about twenty percent uh, uh, and accessible to about twenty percent of American home buyers. I'd like to be up at half the country by the end of the year. That's tremendous scale. Um, we're licensed in every state as a mortgage originator, you know, and as a real estate broker for a variety of reasons. Um, and so, getting to half the country, uh, going from really in, in a year and a half from two of us to we'll end this coming year at three, 350 teammates. Um, and doing that in a compliant fashion um, uh, is the priority and then broadening our products or financial products. We got Jumbo out the door just, just a little while ago and, and uh, adding a bunch of new Jumbo partners over the coming weeks. Um, so we'll get real competitive there. And then we keep on rolling uh, into Home Ready, into FHA, um, and uh, we'll get to that first uh, before we 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 get to servicing. So we're we're in a market right now where we saw nineteen percent home price appreciation in in twenty twenty one. The the agents that we get responses from in our Real Trends uh, agent poll survey said that rising rates, inflation, home prices. Um, but like those are the top concerns uh, that, that they're hearing about right right now. So as you think about that market, what agents are concerned about who are going to be a primary cons- uh, kind of constituent to, uh, to to Tomo, how do you prepare the business for a rising rate environment? How do you prepare the business for, a, a, a I guess it's in your favor, a totally purchase-focused market? Yeah, uh, maintain the discipline uh, – not to have moved uh, and distract ourselves in refi is is the critical nature of that. That's the guiding light. That's that's the, it, it keeps anchoring back to that. I know Clayton, you're, you and, and Housing Wire are the you tell the stories of of the mortgage industry, but capably, so you understand from a from a revenue perspective, from a gain on sale perspective, you know, rising interest rates aren't fundamentally disruptive um, uh, at, at scale to us. Um, it may well take a little hair off this crazy real estate market. And that's not a terrible thing because you know this, uh, the market, uh, there's not a lot of room right now. And we all know this from housing economics. We got a big generation of millennials and Z's come along here who view uh, owning a home in a traditional sense. Uh, there's a lot of research on this. A millennial looks at owning a home like a boomer. Um, they're quite traditional. They don't want to rent a home forever, uh, but it's expensive in a lot of these markets. In some of the markets, 35, 40% of income in San Francisco, a little higher, uh, of folks take home income uh, goes to pay their housing costs. Traditionally, that would move into the rental market. And now in many of those markets, uh, Scott Olson, our, our, our economist, our, our, our chief economist, did a whole bunch of research on this. And in many of the markets, uh, renting is just as expensive uh, as buying. And so there's there's no outlet, and to be a little playful and disruptive, that kind of stuff leads to revolution. When forty percent of your income is going to housing, 
and there's no outlet for you and you're moving to, you know, to new areas to get out of the big cities where your dreams were built because you can't afford to live, that's where things get pretty disrupted. Um, and I'd argue is, is one of the reasons why we see political disruption right now. I mean, you're pointing at a little bit of a silver lining in the, in the rising mortgage rate market. How, how does that silver lining come into play? How does that actually solve some of the supply and demand imbalance that this market just feels plagued with right now? Yeah. So, hey, affordability with inter- uh, rising interest rates isn't totally solved, but appreciation should slow here because um, you have to pay the, for the higher interest rates. Uh, how, how, how we think uh, it, it comes into play is there's a lot of folks sitting on the sidelines. You know this. Inventory, I think this is missed in a lot of the discussion. We're actually selling as many houses about as we ever have before. They're just turning faster, Right. Because there's so much demand. I saw you snapping, so you get it. Yeah, yeah. Just moving incredibly fast. It's, it's not it, if you put a mar- house on the market, if it will sell. It's how fast it will sell and how many offers you will get, which is a, you know an equally challenging dynamic. It is. So we've got to slow this market down a little bit. I don't know that we have control over that. I think what's driving this really is authentic consumer demand. Um, folks want to buy homes and they want to sit down their roots. And they want to leverage what were, you know, newfound wealth and, and a greater savings rate. And they want to, they want to put it into their houses. Um, we do need some help from the boomers, though. We need the boomers to move to Florida in Arizona, sell their houses across the country, um, and free up some inventory. And the last part of that is, like, we have to build housing. It's the only way out uh, of this is, you know, we're still... Uh, you know, a few million homes, four, five, six million homes underbuilt. There's been lots of discussion about that. In demand, supply, things are imbalanced. Cheap money. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, the home building solution is important, but it's not fast. Uh, permitting, materials, labor, the challenges that are facing the home building market are just as notable as the the challenges that are facing the existing home sales. Market, but hey, it is a it is a promise of a future. Um, I think we just need to see some things happen in our supply chain and labor market, and um, you know, and s- some some political action that makes home building easier and faster. I, I'd also argue that the only way out is going higher, as in building taller structures that that have larger volume of units. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, d- density is a is a solution. M- more attractive in certain markets than than others. But, uh, but yeah, there's, there's certainly markets and, and actually I'll, I'll back that up a little bit. The markets where it seems like population growth is most att- or moving the fastest right now is toward the South and the, the sand States, yeah. sun belt, sun belt States where density isn't as a, isn't as popular of a solution, but I mean, certainly, um, I may maybe here in Dallas, we like to, we like to go up, but, uh, in, in most markets, it seems like the demand is for the this the single family home. Hey, it's part of the American dream, but hey, townhouses, yeah, multifamily units. Um, these are things that give a little grass in the backyard, which I think many of us covet. Um, yet have higher levels of density and, and greater affordability as prices depreciate. And um, I guess as as employers like Tomo bring people back to the office, the need for for two home offices is a little less relevant. So maybe we'll see a a little flight back to the the metropolitan areas and less of a need for um, four thousand square feet in the burbs. We'll see. We'll see. I like my big house too. <laughs> 
Yeah. Hey, can I hear one thing that I'm often asked about? Um, and I'd love to get your view on this. There's been, I'm asked about every day um, uh, about the eventual or the presumed um, exit of the real estate agent from our industry being replaced by the robots, by automation, by self-serve technology, by eye buying. And it's one of the more boring questions I get asked to tell you the truth. You must, you must get asked about that all the time. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, I mean, I feel like with your background of building a huge part of Zillow's business that you're going to have uh, as much insight to to anybody on, on this one. But um, we, yeah, we talk about this all the time. But I mean, cert- certain things are like I, you mentioned iBuying done right. That's an agent tool. It's not an, an agent replacement. And I think that's a, a concept. I think that most of the markets wrap their head around now. I think I first heard people talking about that three years ago at the the NAR conference of trying to position the iBuyer product as a as an agent tool and agents kind of wrapping their their head around that concept. Yeah. But I think it's a little more broadly accepted today. But I, yeah. I'll like kind of throw, throw it back at you. I mean, you talked about the millennials being very similar to the boomers and their, and their buying habits. And, um, I think about first time home buyers, first time borrowers being people who need and want a little more handholding than, um, someone who's done it before. Uh, is that a market dynamic that you, that you think holds true? Oh my gosh. Yes. So, uh, it, the most, my, my desk at the office is, it, it, it is, is right adjacent to the rows, um, of, of our loan officers and, and our, and our call center folks. Um, uh, our, our pre-approval associates. And so I hear them hundreds of times a day on the phone with customers, uh, counseling them, making them feel safe. Software, we say this a lot over here, software is really bad at making us feel safe. It's really good at performing repetitive commoditized tasks like gathering documents and data. People are really good at making us feel safe in teaching us and guiding us through complex decisions like housing, which are done infrequently. So, you know, we've got these wonderful loan officers and and uh, and, and advisors here. Um, and the other thing is, uh, I'm really, we are long on independent real estate agents. I, I think re- independent real estate agents have a really strong position for decades to come because um, each home is pretty bespoke. Oh, I mean, that's a, a bet I can get behind. I mean, we acquired real trends le- less than less than 15 months ago, a, a business that's built around recognizing and serving uh, real estate agents and brokers and, and team leaders across the country. And ultimately we believe that some human element is always going to be necessary in the real estate transaction. And that while there might be room for a more automated um, digital process for some consumers, there's a lot of consumers whether their financial life is more complicated or their home search process is more specific, or they just lack the confidence to in themselves and the decision they're making that, that coaching, that advisory is, is, is incredibly important, especially in a, in the real estate market that changes frequently. We just talked about rising mortgage rates. We talked about home price appreciation. I don't know a single person who is not thinking about those things as they enter the home market and, just reading about it is not really enough for most homeowners to come to the conclusion that now is the right time to buy a house or to do some of those financial calculations to really compare the cost benefit of, of owning versus renting and all of the different factors and inputs that go into that, that, that decision. 
Yeah, it's going to be re- absolutely. Uh, I think one of the this is a little real trendy, uh, but one of the more interesting elements to watch. And there's nothing inherently wrong. It's just it's it's going to be an interesting one. Is the acceptance of of corporate employees as real estate agents uh, at scale, right? Because a bunch of the mortgage companies are trying this. I, I suspect as a capture strategy, and um, will folks want to work with, with with a captive real estate agent in a mortgage company? And will great agents want to work there? and uh, get a salary job. That's going to be a really interesting thing to watch. And, and do they trust these big companies um, to the degree that that it requires? The same, the same thing's playing out in appraisal as there's a lot of independent appraisers across the country and there's increasingly more staff appraiser roles um, that are great for for certain people and great for great for certain appraisers who want a, uh, a different level of uh, kind of consistency in their, in their hours and, and income. But ultimately the housing industry is filled with a lot of pretty entrepreneurial and pretty ambitious people. And uh, real estate agents are definitely in that category for the most part. And I think that independence is something that's um, going to be hard for the job category to shake. Yeah, I suspect that's going to be the big brawl of the next five years at Real Trend Summits is kind of fighting for the soul of, of big companies entering versus these hyper local entrepreneurs. And uh, we're going to have a blast trying to imp, uh, kind of amplify those hyper local entrepreneurs at, at Tomo. Um, that's our bat. Uh, and we'll see if, if we're right. Uh, I think we are. Well, Greg. Appreciate you sharing the entrepreneurial vision, everything you're working toward at Tomo. Uh, it's just fascinating to see somebody with the the technology background that you have, both as a as a operator and as a advisor and, and board member. We know you're bringing a lot of diverse experience to, to building in this space. So uh, excited to see what you accomplish. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And if if I could if I could pitch, because you know I like to do that. Um, we're going to hire 150 people this year. Um, your loan officers, your processors, your engineers, your marketeers and capital markets folks, join us um, and be inspired. Just the people who don't feel like they fit in quite well enough at their existing lender, right? That's it. That's who we want. <laughs> they're like a little sand. Uh, they're a little sand in, in the gears. Uh, that's what we want to have come here. Yeah, well, it's uh, it, it is great to see lenders hiring in this environment. Uh, there's definitely some refi squeeze going on right now, so glad to see purchase focused folks uh, putting some putting some people to work. Yep, thanks, thanks. It's really exciting times. Bam! Now that is a wrap of this week's episode of the Housing News Podcast. Do me a huge favor and go to iTunes and rate this show. And if you leave a comment, you better tune in next week because you might get a shout out. Thank you.